You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. What we really want to look at is we hear the Christmas story so many times, and we know that it was the story of Jesus coming to earth, but, but who is this baby? Who is this Jesus? And the, and the scriptures give us so many pieces, prophecies, all throughout the Old Testament that point to the coming Messiah. And we so often miss, and I like to look at them as breadcrumbs, that all throughout the writings of the Old Testament, it's like they just threw out a little bit of breadcrumb to keep leading the people to the ultimate story that was going to take place in Matthew. And so last week, they covered the, the whole ground of Matthew chapter 1, and we saw the lineage of Jesus and how you know, he is history. Like This is not just his story, but the coming of Christ was, was history. And it's what we, we look back to, to realize the, the distance that Jesus went. You know, kings don't typically leave their thrones to serve their people. But God saw it fit that Jesus would leave his throne to come and, and dwell and live among us, to show us the ways to live, to live out the gospel, to teach us about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and to die as a sacrificial lamb so that you and I could have a relationship with God, that we could be declared righteous. The Bible actually says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Now, what did we do to earn that, by the way? Trick question. Absolutely nothing. Isn't that good? There's no strings attached to the coming of Jesus and his, his first coming. And I think a lot of times we spend so much time talking about the second coming that we miss the fact that a lot of people don't even know about his first coming. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26, and we're going to discuss Mary. A lot of times we don't, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about Mary and, and the significance of Mary, and um, I, I think Mary is one that we, we should look to and one that we should honor, bring honor to. Um, and let me tell you a little bit of why, about why in the Protestant church that we don't talk a lot about Mary. You've heard about the, the Protestant Reformation, guys like Martin Luther. So there was a time that the Reformation was about to hit. Like the, the, there was a group of people, Martin Luther being one of those, and, and, and Martin Luther wasn't always the best of guys, so I want to go out on a limb and just tell you that he wasn't always the best of people. Um, he, he said some pretty harsh things that I, I probably would have pulled back and said, I don't think you need to say that, but he did it anyway. Um, but one of the things that really drove the people was the fact that they didn't have a copy of the Scriptures. The Scriptures had not been printed yet. They didn't have access to the Scriptures and they were having to take the word of the church, the church at the time being the Catholic Church. And they, they started calling into question some things of, of about confession. Who do we confess to? Do we really have to confess to the Pope? Or do we have open lines with Jesus that we can confess to? And, and so these conversations and these questions kept coming up. And one of the, one of the pieces of the Reformation was, was, the, was Mary. And there was this belief that the Catholics worshipped Mary. Now I want to give a disclaimer. Catholics do not worship Mary. I don't know where that thought came from or how that came. I've, I've met with many Catholics. I've, written, I've read uh, a, a good bit of stuff on Catholicism. There is no worship of Mary. Okay, we good? We good? All right, I just want to make sure because I've heard people say that, and I just want to correct that for their sake is they, they get a bad rap in, in that piece. And so th there, is no, there is no worship of Mary. But let me tell you what happens with Luther. Luther gets a hold of a copy of the scripture. He begins reading, and he falls into Romans chapter 5. As reading Romans chapter 5, he falls under conviction. 
And he decides that he's going to sit down with his pen and his paper, and he writes what we call the 95 Thesis. These are the 95 disagreements that he had against the church. Now, he could have been a gentleman and mailed it and put it on a stamp and hand-delivered it, but instead he took a hammer and a nail and he went to the church of Wittenberg in Germany and he started pounding on the door and he put these 95 disagreements on the door for all to read to say, hey, we're not about this anymore. And the Reformation would, would happen and they would, they would develop themselves around what we would call the five solas. And those are that faith alone, like uh, our faith in Jesus alone, grace alone is what saves us, not by works. We don't have to do all these things. We go by Scripture alone, like the Scripture leads and guides and directs us. And we do Christ alone because Jesus is the ultimate end all, ultimate authority. And the last, he said, the glory of God alone, God and God alone will get our worship. And these were the five tenets that the Reformation was born out of. And so during this Protestant Reformation, the Protestants throw out this idea of the worship of Mary, and, and they went way too far to the other side, to where we never really talk about her anymore. And I just want to put her back in the spotlight this morning, because there's some stuff that the Holy Spirit does through her that we really need to pay attention to, that we can pull from her life and see what God wants to do in our life. Okay, we set? We just covered a lot of history in just a little bit of time. But if you want to read about it, go just type in Protestant Reformation, and you can get a lot of information there on that. But let me, let me start this morning in, uh, in Luke chapter 1. The Bible says that it was in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so he's in Nazareth. To a virgin that was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the house of David. That's important because the lineage of Jesus would come from the house of David. We saw that in Matthew, and we see that in the prophecies. And it said, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Hey, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And those are peaceful words, and that's good. Verse 31 tells us, and it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be uh, great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary stated to the angel, How will this be since... I am a virgin. Well, Mary, I think, can be a picture, and, and there's a lot of some symbolism with Mary when you, when you research it, but I think one of the biggest pieces that we could pull from this with Mary is Mary is a, a picture of the church, of literally carrying the gospel of Jesus into the world. You think that she was the first one to literally carry the gospel. And, and what I want us to see in this text this morning is what happens if the Spirit of God moves in our lives? What happens? Because we're going to see some things shift in Mary's life that the Spirit of God is going to do a work within her, both spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He's going to do a work that is within her. And what I want you to understand about Mary's first Christmas, it didn't go as planned. It wasn't the way that she thought that it was going to go. You know, she was just going through her normal everyday life, but an angel comes and has this conversation with her that will change her life 
forever. Change it forever. So in, in verses 28 through 29, what we see is she, she's freaking out a little bit because this angel has come and just delivered this news. Hey, the Lord's got a message for you. Did you guys ever get called to the office when you were in school? Not knowing why? Many times? Parish many times? I remember my first week in college. I go to class, which was one of the few times. And I come back, and we had these things called answering machines. Y'all remember those things? We were high class. And I had a little beep on my phone. I was like, oh, look, somebody called me. I was in to check who it is, and I clicked the play button. And it was the secretary for the president of the university. Dr. Epstein would need to see you in his office this afternoon at 2 o'clock if you could stop by. Wait, this is my first week. I'll start, what did I do? Like, I haven't taken a test, so I haven't flunked out yet. I haven't done. And, and so my heart rate goes up. And I take this dreaded walk, and I'm sitting in the president's office, shaking, waiting on him to come. He was obviously late, which made it worse. The door opens. He calls me into his presidential suite. I sit down in front of him, and I'm thinking, this is great. I'm getting kicked out of college, and I don't know what I did. And it's the first week of school. And he looks at me. He says, um, Robbie, I'm, I'm Dr. Epstein. I said, yes, sir. I kind of figured out who you were. And um, he said, I've heard a lot about you. Oh, gosh. And then he told me who he had heard this information from, which I was like, oh, no. He said, I just want to let you know, if you need anything, I'm here for you this semester. That's it. We love you. Thank you for being here at North Greenville. Man, could you not have left that message for me on the machine? I had already written up my letter of like, sorry, Mom, Dad. It was a nice run. You know, whatever. I'm coming home to live with you. But it was just... It was this moment of knowing that there was a conversation that was going to be had, and you don't know what it is, and there's a fear on the other side of that. And this is like Mary being called to the president's office. I'll I'll tell you, the second time I was called to the president's office was not the same conversation. Um, They will suspend you. Uh, Anyway, and so what I found was that with Mary, there's this piece of her that is, is, is kind of like she's frazzled in the moment. Because she's just going about her day. And then she finds out that there's this message that God has for her. And then he tells her these words, and and it's interesting. But but he says, Mary, you, teenage girl, you have found favor with God. She's like, what have I done? I'm a young teenage girl, newly engaged. I'm a good Orthodox Jew. I, I do all the rituals, I go to Passover, I participate in the festivals. How have I found favor with God? It's interesting because in the Greek, that word favor actually means grace. You have found grace with God. Now, what did Mary do to get that grace? Seriously, what did Mary do? Nothing. She found favor by doing nothing. And so God God says, or the angel tells her that God says that you have found grace, you found favor. In Ephesians 2.8, the Bible tells us that it's by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. And so God is giving her this message of, hey Mary, you, you found this favor. You don't have to be afraid because I've got this under control. He was letting her know right out the gate that this, this is going to be an unusual chain of events that are going to happen. But I'm not requiring anything of you but you to be faithful. 
And I have covered you in grace because you're going to have some mess-ups. You're going to have some thoughts. There are going to be some things along the way, Mary. But what I need you to understand is you have found grace with God. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. And so there's this conversation that's going on. And then to, to step it up another level, he says, not only have you found favor, but you're going to give birth. You're going to give birth to the Son of God, and you're going to call his name Jesus or Yahweh, which means God saves. Now, Mary's brain's spinning at this point. This is a lot of information to take in at one point, right? She's newly engaged, young girl, minding her business, and this news gets thrown right through the window of her house that you're going to have a baby, which was enough, right? But now the baby's going to be the Son of God. And I always wondered how Jesus' siblings, how that relationship went with them. Because, you know, we, we read about Jesus when he's born, and then we see him again at 2 years old, then we see him again at 12 years old, and then we see him again at 30 to 33 years old. I want to know what happened between 2 and 12. Anybody else with me on that? You know that Jesus had at least, uh, Mary and Joseph had at least seven children. We know that there were at least two sisters. There were five sons. I mean, you know that there were conversations that came up. Oh, why has he got to be your favorite? He never does anything wrong. Right? He's always a terrific kid. He never slams the door when he walks out. His room's always clean. I always wonder what that dynamic was because Jesus was, was, a, was a human. He had dirty diapers. I told that to my eighth grade class the other day. I was like, what? He's Jesus, though. It's like, yeah, but he's human. He had dirty diapers. He cried and kept his mom up at night. He had to teeth, right? He, he went through everything that, that our children go through. But the difference is, his name was Jesus. He, he is the coming Messiah. And, she, and he goes, listen, you found this grace with God, but you didn't do anything. And you're going to have God's son, and you're going to name him Jesus, the, the greatest name among all names. He's going to be God saves. Mary, you're about to give birth to a king. You're not going to have to raise him to be a king. He will already be on the throne when he's born. You don't have to do anything. But be faithful and steadfast. Now, I love the question that she poses in 34 because he's given her all kinds of confidence up front, right? But she asks a very, I think, legitimate question. When she says, well, angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. That's a great question. It's probably a really good question right out the gate, right? Like, I'm not married yet. Um, I don't know if Joseph's ready to have kids yet. So I'm a virgin, so how's this going to happen? Very legitimate. Now, the, the question that comes up a lot with this was, did Jesus have to be virgin born? Why, why is there... Why did the virgin birth have to take place? Why is that a big part of this? And there are many theological uh, significances that, that would show why this was important. But I just want to give you two this morning just so that we can be on the same page. But there, there's a couple of them, but here's two of them. The virgin birth had to happen, number one, because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 7, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, a virgin, he's Mary, shall conceive and will bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, or God with us, physically dwelling and being with us. So why did, 
Why did Mary have to have a virgin birth? Because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah called it out and pointed to it and said, this is why. He's fulfilling the prophecy. Now, Mary knew these prophecies. She was an uh, Orthodox Jew. She participated in all the Jewish practices and knew all the Jewish teachings. So she was not a stranger to the prophecies. She, too, was longing for the coming Messiah, waiting on him. She just didn't know that it was literally going to be coming through her. And the Bible gives us this fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 7. And here's the second reason, and I'm going to explain this one a little bit more, but it also had to happen because Jesus is not a son of Adam, but a son of God. He's not a son of Adam, he's a son of God. And here's why I say that. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible tells us that therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam and Eve. I mean, our, our bloodline, our DNA was messed up from that moment, Genesis chapter 3. They took a, a bite of the fruit and everything went haywire. Everything that God had designed to work in rhythm and in harmony and in peace is gone. So any, anybody that is born, this is why the Bible says that we're born sinners. We don't have to teach our kids to not share. We don't have to teach them to say things that they shouldn't say. We don't have to teach them not to hit each other because those things are natural. We have an inclination towards sin. This is why when you get cut off in traffic, you think things that you probably shouldn't think or do gestures that you probably shouldn't do. That's the sin nature. Paul even says that, that I, I don't know why I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. I don't want to do these things, but it, it's the sin nature. And, and so because of the sin of Genesis chapter 3 with Adam, you and I have been cursed with the curse of sin that our natural inclination is to, to not do good things, right? Thank God for the blood of Jesus to come in and meet that and cover that, those multitude of sins. So had Jesus been born naturally, he would have taken on the sin of Adam. So God has to start the whole process of putting him with Mary, virgin born. That it was the birth of the Father, of the Holy Spirit. So that's a really big deal. Because if not, our sin natures continue without any forgiveness. And you and I would be in our backyard sacrificing animals. We would have big altars built. Rubbing blood on the four corners of the altar. Getting letters from our HOA, how that is not appropriate. This is what would happen. Y'all ever tried to clean a deer in your backyard and you have an HOA? Those are fun. But look what he says in verses 35 and 36. It says, the angel answered her. Because remember, what was her question? How will this happen? Because I'm a virgin. But the Holy Spirit gives an, the angel gives an answer to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You're not going to be able to operate out of your weakness because the Holy Spirit's going to put his power, his dunamis, his explosive change is going to come within you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Because again, if it wasn't virgin born from Romans chapter 5, the sin line would continue to run. And you're going to call him holy because he's going to be set apart. He's the son of God. And it says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, <laughs> that's Luke's nice way of saying it, in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So she's already, she's already six months ahead of the game here, pregnant, ready to go. Now we know now that the, the child that is being referred to here from Elizabeth is John the Baptist, who also we're going to talk about next week was prophesied in the Old Testament because they told us that he was coming to to prepare the way of the Messiah. You know, Mary's mind, I think she feels like she's in this dilemma. She lives in this culture where she could be faced with death. She could be faced with divorce. And, you know, to be engaged really was meant that you were married. So engagement here today, we look at it different. Like engage is us making the commitment to get to the day to be married. But an engagement then meant, hey, we're, we're one. The only thing that consummates the marriage and makes it official is um, doing the other thing that would have kids. And, and so that was, the final, that was the final piece, right? And so they're technically married. So for her to break this off or to be pregnant and it not be Joseph's put her in this, this dilemma where she could face death because she would have to be divorced. And, and it would bring shame to her family, bring shame to Joseph's family. But Joseph has a, a moment here that he's got to figure out what to do with his his lady. Like, what am I going to do with Mary? Because I love her, but he's got to buy into this story too at some point. You can imagine how that conversation probably went. I think these are the things that God's going to tell us about in heaven. He's going to give us some more detail. Probably not. But she's in this dilemma. You know, and she goes to Joseph and she's like, hey, I got good news and bad news. Good news, I'm pregnant. Bad news, not yours. But it is of the Holy Spirit. So there's not another guy involved. It is the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord's. And she's got to face this dilemma. She's got to try to figure her way out through this. And in her mind, if they don't kill me, they're going to they're gonna push me out of society. They're going to push me outside of the community. They're not going to let me be a part of what's happening here anymore. I'm facing death, so do I say anything or do I just not have this conversation with the angel but the angel, I want you to notice, is constantly building her confidence. Not in anything around him, but is constantly building, or building the confidence in that of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you with power. The Lord has found favor. See, oftentimes we go to people for validation when we really just need to be going to Jesus. You've you got to get around some people who will point you to Jesus for Jesus to give you the validation that you're looking for. Because the cross says it all. And here Mary is sitting in the middle of all of this, in this dilemma. She knows the prophecies. She, knows, she even knows that the end game for this Messiah is going to be death. So it's not just having to have this conversation and, and, and convince people that this is a virgin born and this is the Messiah that the Bible was talking about. She also knows the end of this prophecy that her son is going to be crucified. That she, as a parent, is going to have to face watching her son be murdered at the hands of the Romans. This is a lot of stuff to take in at one time. I mean, would you want to know what's going to happen to your kid 30 years from now? I don't. I don't know that I want to know what they're going to do five minutes from now. Right? Or 30 seconds from now. A kid in crayons by themselves can do a lot in 30 seconds. Right? Am I right? Parent tip. So, this is all that she's thinking. This is impossible. It's impossible. Like, I'm just a teenager. 
minding my own business, getting my whole future set before me with my marriage, to start a family, and this is not the way that I have planned this to happen. And, and how can this even happen if I'm virgin and he's not going to be the father? This is, this is impossible. Now look at verse 37. For, what's that word say? Will be impossible with God. Nothing. And Mary said, Behold, now look at her response. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not what I want, but to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's a lot of news to drop on somebody real quick and just float away. Like your life's going to drastically change. You're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to save all these people. He's going to die. You got it? You're good? Okay, I'll see you later. If you need something, pray. And, and he's out. And he's out. But did you hear the words of assurance from the angel? Nothing, Mary, is impossible. Your hang-up is in how this birth thing's going to happen and how people are going to react to it. But when the Holy Spirit involved, anything is possible. When Jesus is in the room, anything is possible. This is why all throughout the New Testament, people are bringing people to Jesus. They're tearing the roofs off of houses and trying to get people down to the feet of Jesus because they know if they can just get people in the presence of Jesus, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So she's having to, to trust this. She doesn't understand. She's not fully grasping everything. Which I think is a, an important point for us that the fact that she doesn't understand doesn't mean that she doesn't trust. Did you know that you don't have to understand God to trust God? There's always an element of faith, right? You don't have to understand every little thing of why things happen. And just to give you a little bit of maybe some hope is that you may not understand why everything happens. Maybe the reason that some of the things happen on this side of eternity that we'll never know are prayers that we didn't get answered, but they may be prayers that get answered in the next generation. We may never know. But because we don't know the answer to the why doesn't mean that that we don't listen to him or, or that we can't trust him. You don't have to understand God to trust God. So Mary, in this moment, is not very excited. Now look at, let's pick it up in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And I love this verse. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. John the Baptist, in the womb, even recognized the presence of the Lord. In the womb. And so the baby leaps. And Elizabeth, now this is a very important verse, we tend to skip over it, but Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Mary just got the word that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. And she's going to be overshadowed by his power. And now here the Holy Spirit is doing a work. See, the Holy Spirit was already at work in Elizabeth before he ever got the message to Mary. Isn't that good to know that he goes before us? 
When he calls you somewhere, he's already done the work in that place to prepare it for you when you get there to that calling. He's already done it. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And he says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is an aunt talking to a niece. Why is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you know how Elizabeth knew that this was the Messiah? The Holy Spirit told her. Because I believe that she spent time with the Father. And she may have had her own questions and her own wonderings. But there was no doubt when Mary showed up that God was connecting the dots for her. He says, For behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears. My baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary, you have been blessed. And the reason you've been blessed, because you have been faithful to follow what the angel told you. So her relatives understand. They get it. They've been with God. When God is doing a work in your life that you don't understand, you need to get around people who love him. You need to get yourself around people who love them. Mary goes to the person that she knows loves her and loves the Lord because God's doing a work in her life that she doesn't understand. She trusts, but she doesn't understand. So she goes and she seeks out wise counsel. Now be careful where your wise counsel comes from. They need to love Jesus, and they need to be obedient in the things that Jesus has called them to do. And if those two things aren't happening, do not get advice from those people, okay? Because they will lead you down a path of destruction, okay? And, and so she gets herself around a group of people. She gets herself around the right people. And, and I want you to notice that Elizabeth is speaking truth over Mary. She's giving truth. She's encouraging. You need to get around those people. Because let me tell you what happens. Sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation like Mary where God calls us to do something or there's some things that happen that we don't understand and the first thing we want to do is isolate ourselves. Isolation is the absolute worst thing that we could ever do for ourselves. That's nothing more... Uh, that's the enemy's number one thing that he wants to do. If he can get you separated and isolated from everybody else, he can have a field day with you. You ever watch National Geographic? When the lions go after the big herd of gazelle, it's an amazing thing. But their goal is not to try to get all of them at one time. They work strategically to isolate one gazelle. And you can see it on the face of every one of those gazelles. Uh-oh. <laughs> Where'd everybody go? He goes right, everybody else goes left, and now there's a whole pride of lions around them. Right? And they meet their faith with Simba and Mufasa. <laughs> the enemy wants you isolated. He wants you isolated. So... I want, to work, I want to talk to these three points very quickly. What we see here happening is the Holy Spirit is working through Mary. And there's some stuff that appears. There's three things. This is a picture of what happens when the Spirit moves within us. Number one, there's faith. So there's a faith. There's a surrender. And there's a worship. 
We find all three of those things here in this story of Luke. And if you're asking yourself, like, what, what does this even have to do with me? This is Mary. I'm not having the Son of God. Well, there's this issue of faith that we have to work with. Like, faith is trusting that nothing is impossible for God. It is believing that God can do whatever he says he can do and that he is who he says he is. That's faith. That's faith. Now, where is ours? Do, are we believing that there is nothing impossible for God? Some of you have, have pushed up against some painful, some painful things in your life, some traumatic things. I, I, I want to encourage you, don't isolate yourself. But I also want you to ask yourself this question in an honest thing. Is, do I believe that God can do what I feel is impossible, that I can't be healed and made whole again? That seems impossible, but the Word tells us that trusting that nothing is impossible for God. When the Spirit moves, there's a surrender about us. Did you catch Mary's words? She didn't understand it, but she said this, Behold, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Whatever you need. In the Greek, that word means a willing servant. Not, not being held hostage to it. Not chained to it. But free to it. That she's willingly willing to serve. Which brings up the third piece. When we find ourselves believing the impossible. When it lines up with the scriptures. And we surrender our lives to say anything that you want. And by the way, can I tell you that I believe that if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Because he's defeated death. He defeated death. But worship. Our response to God, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's a work that the spirit does. I think a lot of times that our, our worship of him is because we don't have an accurate view of him. I was, overheard a conversation even this week about disappointment in a church that their people just weren't, my people aren't singing. And I, we're trying everything. We're trying brand new music and we're trying, and I, and I, I had to interject myself of going, they may not be singing because they don't have an accurate view of who God is. They don't know who they're singing to. And you're getting disappointed that they're not singing. What if we changed their view? When you, when you see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are, the gospel pushes our response to be worship. It pushes it. So we, we've got we to gotta figure this worship thing out. We, we've got we to ask ourselves, is God who he says he is? Because you won't worship if you have too low a view of God. Or if you have too high a view of yourself. But when we have faith and surrender, it'll drive pure worship for us. And we see all three of these things in the life of Mary. So I'm going to leave you with this question today. What happens when the Spirit of God moves within you? What are, your, what are the responses? Because we see it in the life of Mary. And this is the Christmas story very strategic and God is working out every single detail and planting the seeds to get us to the manger.
and those seeds didn't stop getting planted there. You and I as a church today are still planting those seeds in the hearts and lives of people here in this community and all over the world that we're making a difference. So ask yourself, what happens when the Spirit of God moves in me? What, what is, do I have an accurate view of God? How do I see God? How do I see God? Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And um, we thank you for Mary. A lot of times we a lot of times we don't see her in this light, but Lord, a, a scared teenager who takes steps of faith and becomes the mom to the Son of God. And I just pray as we read this story and even go back through it this week and read it, that you'll continue just to pull things out that we'll see how your Holy Spirit was working within her and working within Elizabeth. And, and we'll constantly ask ourselves, what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? And we thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. And we pray these things in your name.